Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Morning, Nia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. And, and one of the reasons why I am good is um, uh, we get to uh, talk about some of the most egregious <laughs> errors committed in regards to election polling in the history of the United States. Okay. Uh, yes. I, so I made it through my entire life before I went to grad school. Not my entire life, because I'm not dead yet, but, but <laughs> you know, quite a bit of my life before I went to grad school. And when I went to grad school, I took research methods because everybody in grad school has to take research methods. Yes. And one of the things that the professor talked about was, was the, how you sample poll, right? Because he was talking about, um, he, he brought up the Dewey, Truman race and there's that famous photograph of Truman holding up a newspaper that says Dewey defeats Truman which for people who don't know how newspapers used to run they used to they used to print them and have them out first thing in the morning but that meant that you had to have the stories done by like midnight in order for the print set to be done and then all the papers to be printed and bound and sent out for like to the you know, to, to the stands. So they jumped that gun at midnight by saying, Dewey wins that election. And he, of course, that's Truman. That, by the way, is President Truman holding up that, that newspaper. And it, it's just totally wrong. And I didn't realize that part of that problem was the polls in, yes. that, in yes. that race had been so badly done or badly skewed or yeah I mean, it got so, me thinking about polling and and now like this thing where we're going back through and we're looking at votes to try to find errors part of that is because the polling in the election for 2020 was so weird right that people had yes. expectations about what was actually going to happen in the election and it didn't happen yeah so because because the polling yeah. results leading up to the 2020 presidential election so badly underestimated Trump's performance it supports the conspiracy that former President Trump and his supporters okay um, are fully invested in which is if the pre-election polls were so bad then does that all does that not also mean that how the votes were counted, okay. Could be, could be wrong, right. Could be wrong, it, right? And for listeners, neither Augie nor I uh, believe the quote, big lie. Um, we do not believe the election was stolen. We do not believe there was mass fraud. We believe there was a little bit of fraud or not fraud, but a little, no, mistakes I mean, were made. We both believe that mistakes were made because humans are involved in this process and mistakes are going to be made, but not at the level that it would have turned over even one state, let alone yeah, um, an entire national election. So just to put that aside, this, that's not what we're talking about today. We're, we're, yeah, we're not talking about the big lie. Yeah, uh, Nia and I in previous podcast uh, episodes 
um, have talked about the, the difficulties um, that uh, were associated with the 2020 uh, elections, um, um, but neither one of us believes um, that there was uh, enough uh, mistakes uh, made. Certainly there was not a concentrated effort um, to uh, deny uh, President Trump um, and other um, elected officials or candidates from winning their uh, uh, elections in 2020. But back to but but back to Dewey defeating Truman headline, right? <laughs> um, so which um, has got to be one of the most embarrassing. Yes. Like it was the okay. Chicago paper, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was the Chicago Chicago Daily uh, Tribune, um, which was a Republican leaning newspaper. Okay, um, and um, they ran a poll before the election that indicated that Dewey, who was the Republican Party challenger to incumbent President Harry S. Truman, would win decisively. And, you know, as Nia just pointed out, you know, back then, newspapers went to print usually by 11 o'clock at night or midnight at the latest, okay, depending on you know, how big their operation was, okay? Because you'd have to get the newspaper, you know, set, okay? The story set, then the printers would have to produce, okay, hundreds of thousands of copies of newspapers. They would have to be bound, put on delivery trucks who would then basically, you know, drive around a city in the suburbs all to get the newspapers on people's front porches, okay, or yards, okay. By 6 a.m. So, yeah, so that, you know, people could read their newspaper as they ate breakfast or were leaving their house, okay, to get on subways, blah, blah, blah. Because this election is the 1948 election, yes. right? So 1948. this is quite a while. <clears throat> yeah. And if you're going to release a paper like Chicago, I'm assuming the Tribune had at that point in 48, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of sus subscribers. Subscribers, right? Because so, that's how people in 1948 got their news. Yeah. There would not have been widespread television news. There would not have been widespread radio news. People mostly got it from the paper. Yeah, you didn't have the internet, okay? Um, I mean, and, and, and in terms of network news, there was, you know, a designated time slot, 630, <laughs> 6.30 in the evening. That was it, right? You know, there wasn't 24-7 CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, blah, blah, blah. There right, that's a very that. modern event, invention, yeah. relatively speaking. Now, okay. in terms of the outcome of the election, <laughs> Truman won 49.6% of the vote. Dewey won 45.1%. So you're talking about a four, correct my math, a four and a half percent difference Spread. in favor yeah. of Truman. That's huge, relatively speaking. Yes. Okay. Particularly with a president, okay, um, whose public approval ratings, particularly compared to his predecessor, FDR, okay, weren't all that good, right? 
Well, I mean, in fairness to Truman, he just wasn't as exciting as FDR. No, he wasn't. And so um, I mean, people probably were like, he's all right. Um, but in, in, in Truman, won the Electoral College decisively. How much? 303 to 189. <laughs> okay, that that's pretty decisive. I'm just okay. going to go out on a limb and say, wow. But in the aftermath, the newspaper, okay, uh, to its credit, um, uh, uh, did a, uh, a post-election, if you will, audit, if I may use the phrase of, <laughs> the, current, of the day. The current okay. phrase of the day, yes. Okay. Uh, and basically what they found is that um, they oversampled Republicans in their pre-election poll. The poll was conducted entirely via phone. And wealthy people in the 1940s were, one, more likely to have phones. And I know some of our younger listeners are going to be like, what do you mean? Okay, this is pre-cell phone. We're talking about landlines. And in the 1940s, there were huge segments of the American population, okay, that did not have phones. Right. Partic particularly in, okay, rural, rural areas, okay, there might be a phone for the entire community at a general store or the county courthouse, okay? Or the post the office. The post right, some office. some shared yes. space. Okay. And really so, only used for emergencies. You called when somebody yes. was dying or you called something like that. You didn't just, but then again, in 1948, most people had not moved thousands of miles from their family. They were living yes. Yes. relatively close. So you could, there were a lot more communications that way. But yeah, I, that was what he told us what he said the problem here was telephones and we were like what and he said telephones that's how they did the poll and telephones skewed wealthy and wealthy skewed republican and, and so and here's the second point about the use of phones for surveys they would call during the day and the only people who were usually home during the day were wealthy people and oftentimes wealthy women who did not have to work. Right. Okay. Um, and back then, okay, um, women were more likely to vote as their spouse did. Okay. So if they were married to a wealthy, okay, person, Wealthy Americans back then tended to vote Republican, whereas today, okay, increasingly wealthy Americans, at least in the last two presidential elections, are actually moving towards voting for Democratic candidates. Really? Well, yes. we'll have to discuss that another time because that's yeah. interesting too. But yes. So, so, so but, what we're talking but about. The other, the other ahead, question that I have, though, about, about phone, or rather, Taking that into the modern era. Okay. So if you did that problem, uh, and it's called. A sampling bias. Right. Okay, sampling bias is when you. The data sample is selected in a way that it doesn't, does not reflect the true 
underlying distribution. Because again, remember the sample, what you, with a poll, you can't poll every single American. <laughs> 331 million people. Quick, That's right. start now. Now, right? <laughs> so you try to sample, okay, a representative group so that you can generalize or extrapolate from that sample to what more than likely the larger population will do. Okay. Right. And so sometimes that's helped covered by the size of the poll. Yes. And okay. by calling random numbers as opposed to specific numbers. But I was going to ask you about modern day sampling bias. Yes. Because I am curious about, okay, so if telephones were in 1948, a, a, a problematic sampling bias, would you say that in 2021, computer polls are a problematic or could be a problematic sample bias? Because I know my parents would never fill out a poll on a computer. They are, yes. they are of an age where they would just simply not do that. And I know that lots of people in lots of areas, turns out, don't actually own their own computers. We have we have um, issues with broadband in the United States, but we also just have issues with computer ownership. People think everybody owns a computer, but it's only about 78% of the United States. There's a good honking 22% of us that don't yeah, it's called own the a computer. Yeah, the, the, the concept is uh, entitled the digital divide, okay? The digital divide. Okay? So if somebody did a poll that way now, would, it, would the same potential yeah, you, problem yeah, you, hold? Yeah, you would have the same issues because it's generally those um, with a modicum of income who either have computers or who have access to computers or live in areas where there is broadband connectivity, right? I mean, I mentioned this, for instance, in my classes and a lot of my students are just like, what do you mean? And I said, you know, there, there are parts of the United States to where with the exception of government offices and the library, there may not be internet right. to residential um, uh, homes, right? There is not to my parents, it goes through their phone line. Yes, right? And then I said, and then you have issues of age which contribute to the digital divide. You know, you talked about your parents, right? Right. You know, my mother and my grandmother okay, could get the internet at my mom's house, but neither of them have ever operated a computer. Right. <laughs> and taking a poll on a computer is not an unsophisticated thing to do. Yes, right? For our younger generations, for our younger listeners, you guys have been taking surveys, et cetera. <laughs> right. You were okay. born doing that. Yeah, so yeah, you, how was your experience in the womb you know, <laughs> on a Likert scale? I mean, yeah, like right? you guys have been doing that. Yeah, right. Birth, okay. But we, but we older folk. I mean, you know, my daughter came home last year or two years ago when she was in second grade and she said um, she took a, a, a survey on uh, her computer, which was distributed by the school system <laughs> about their lunch menu. <laughs> Nugget, chicken nuggets all the way. <laughs> okay. um, but so, yeah, so, and like, I think that um, 
at my age and I am middle-aged, I am probably the the tippy generation where we learn to use computers pretty quickly and we're pretty decent at it. But anyone older than me struggles. They they struggle yeah. with with okay now what do you want me to click on? What do you want me to do? So I wonder if that's not a if that well I, I don't know whether that played into the 2020 presidential issues or not, but but let, well let's go back one election, right? Okay. So, um, and we're kind of sort of hopscotching around here, listeners, but um, we will touch upon some of the more significant issues and use particular presidential elections uh, to demonstrate the problems. If you go to 2016, okay, um, you know, the poll suggested that Democratic candidate Hillary Clinton would win the presidential election. Okay, that's what the poll said. Okay, but what? Wait, I have a question. Did they say she would win the popular vote, or did they say she would win the electoral college? What when they're polling? Are they polling for the popular vote? It's the popular vote because okay. these because again, if you win the popular vote in the state, then you get that state's electoral college votes. The difficulty or the problem that arose in 2016, um, according to, again, a post-election review, um, was that the polls in 2016 in a number of states, okay, had an issue with polling in uneducated American voters. In other words, the polls tended to over-survey those with college degrees or advanced degrees. And where this became an issue is that, okay, many Trump supporters did not have college degrees. Okay, they did so not So they have just simply were not sampled. They were not sampled. So what many pollsters attempted to do in the aftermath of 2016 was to address what they called the education divide, right? Okay. Let's make sure that our samples, okay, include a, you know, a, a, a robust percentage of those without college degrees. But nevertheless, the 2020 presidential election was off on a number uh, of accounts, right? Uh, on a number of variables. So um, they thought they had fixed it after 2016. Turns out it's more complicated than they thought it was. Yeah, uh, a lot of the polls uh, for the 2020 uh, in the uh, pre-election underestimated Trump's support, okay? They didn't overestimate Biden's support, but they underestimated Trump's support. Okay, um, I mean, let's face, you know, just to give you a, a sense of what we're talking about, Trump as a losing presidential candidate garnered the most votes ever cast for a loser in a presidential election in our country's history. In part, that reflected the high turnout in 2020, okay, but 
it wasn't just the presidential election, okay? The polls for Senate elections and down ballot races, you know, like state races, local government races, in some cases, okay, were off by six percentage points. Six, okay? You had some polls who identified certain people as winning and they lost by four or five percentage points. Yeah, if your margins are that bad, your poll is no good. Like that's yeah. just a... Yeah, I mean... If you had it, a margin of error of 6%, if you listed that on a poll, nobody would take it seriously. Because yes. they'd say, well, heck, that's huge. And what you're talking about, uh, uh, Nia, is what's known as the confidence interval, okay? Yes. That's the plus or minus for a poll, right? Um, and the gold standard for most election polling is 3% or less. 3% or less. Okay. Okay. Anything above 3%, as you just indicated, if you're a consumer of that poll, you should... <laughs> you, you, should think... you should also believe in fairies and yes. Neverland because... And that Professor John Agabaugh has some really good okay, uh, real, real estate to sell you. I was going to okay. say he has some bridges for sale. Yeah, um, okay. Yeah, um, I mean, th that's so, a huge, because when you think about, okay, so just briefly, the, the confident, the, the interval between, when you say a plus or minus three, so if you say that, that the election is going to be, Let's just do easy numbers because that's the simplest. It's going to be a dead heat, 50-50 between Nia and Augie. If your, if your confidence interval is 3%, that means Augie could go up as much as 53 and Nia could go down as much as 47. Yes, which or means, vice versa. Right, yes. which means that if you had 6%, <laughs> you're now talking Augie has 56 and Nia has 44, and that's a drubbing. In... In the real world, we call that a drubbing. Like, yeah. that would be, what is what is it President Obama called? Shellacking. That would be a, a shellacking. <laughs> that's a shellacking. I love that word. Like, I do too, because it, just it the, really the way sounds, rolls, like, it yes. sounds like what it is. So. Yeah, right? Okay. I but, got shellacked, right? So, so, okay. that's, so we would caution you, if you were looking at polls ever, um, to look at that plus minus and see what it is because if it's extraordinarily high what they're basically saying is we don't have any confidence in this poll the people who put it out are telling you that which you know good for them because they're telling you don't really listen to us <laughs> and one of the things that the pollsters they actually have a trade association of course they do because <laughs> you know every profession has a trade association um what, what's the name of their trade association the American Association for Public Opinion Research, okay? TM. <laughs> okay. But what they found out, okay, and, and of course, these are the folks that got some egg on their face, right? What they found out is that it didn't matter what methodology was used to conduct these polls. Many of these polls had problems, right? So, you know, Nee and I started off, listeners, by talking about the use of a telephone poll in the 1948 presidential election. But 
polls today which use, by the way people probably answered yes right because they were flattered to be asked and it was and yes. polls weren't that common and you know what i mean like there's a lot of reasons why people would have once they picked up the phone and a pollster said can i ask you a few questions especially stay-at-home people who may have been bored and it would be nice to have somebody to talk to for a few minutes like yeah. whatever they're going to say sure i'll answer your questions yes but, but according to your notes that's a problem now yeah because most americans today particularly for those of us okay on one side of the digital divide okay those of us with access we're overwhelmed with polls. Right. Every okay. time you go to a website, they're like, can you can you take a short survey to help us improve our our website? And I will be honest with you, I don't do it. I close no, that I, window. Most of the times I close that window. I can't, I'm like, no. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, you know, you know That's uh, why you pay focus groups. I'm not interested. I, yeah, I you know, I go I go online and I pay a bill and then I get an immediate email saying <laughs> Hey, would you like to take a survey about your experience with our, you know, online pay service? And I'm like, no, the reason why <laughs> I picked the online pay service is that, okay, my level of interaction, my <laughs> effort, okay, yes. is minimized. Yes. Right? Now, part of that is because Augie and I are Gen Xers and we don't believe in other people. Like we're, yes, we're like, we, we, we're like, yeah, no, 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 no. I've got 10 people in my life. That's as many as I can take. Like I, I can't. <laughs> yes. I've already analyzed the cost benefit analysis, transaction cost of dealing with those 10 people. And I'm cool with those 10 people. Exactly. The rest of you all, I have determined that interacting with you, having any kind of transaction with you, the cost should be minimized. <laughs> So me doing a survey to talk about my experience with your online pay service, okay, isn't going to happen. Yeah, is, <laughs> is is now increased the cost. Exactly. Okay? Oh, we're we're terrible humans. Yeah, we are but, terrible. But but the, I mean, but but the reality of that too is part of that is me saying to myself, "Don't you have focus group? Like, don't you?" Don't you have a more organized way to deal with this? So that's part of what I think when I see those things online, but also part of what I think is you are the 700th person to ask me this in the last week. Like, leave yes. me alone, computer, yeah. leave me alone. And so part of that, I wonder, is not what happens in polls with humans, where another human, they just think, you know what, during this election season, I have been asked enough and I'm done. I don't want to be asked anymore. I don't. Yes. I, I don't. And I don't want to venture an opinion to you because part of that too, and I, this goes back to us being Xers. So listeners, please just deal with us accordingly. We don't trust anybody. Xers are, we're, we're like um, cynical about almost everyone and everything. And so our trust level that our experience is actually going to be taken into account when we do give you an answer is pretty low, I yeah, think. Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, you know uh, for those of you uh, well-versed, um, you know, in the Bible, you know, we're doubting Thomases, right? right? <laughs> okay. 
Okay. I'm going to need you to show me your bleeding wound in order yes. for me to actually believe that you are the risen Christ. Right. Like, yes. Right. Yes. That's, okay. That's okay. And, and you know, I'm not saying you're not, but I'm going to need some proof. <laughs> I'm going to need some proof. Right. Okay. You know, we're a generation, you know, that, you know, we're latchkey kids, right. right? Okay. Left on our own. We were left on our own. So we come to our own independent, you know, evaluation of things. And a lot of times, you know, when we're talking collectively, generationally, right. there are some individuals who might be different, but collectively, we're just kind of sort of like, you know, these institutions really don't work. Okay. Uh, parents. Okay. Yeah. They're, you know, um, they're not all that great. Um, okay. <laughs> they're teach- or they're fine. Well, they're fine. They're okay. fine. But yes. I mean, you know, yeah, most whatever. of us, most, right. Exactly. That's our generation's word. Whatever. Yes. Yeah. Whatever. whatever. Yeah. Yes. So okay. we, okay. I don't think we make good polling samplers or sampling subjects yeah we're subjects, not thank you yeah we're not good subjects right but i also but, suspect we, that people who feel like they have been screwed by the government who feel like they have been screwed by politicians probably also are not particularly good subjects because they're not interested in in answering polls either like you know what you have you've sent my job overseas you don't represent me with my moral and ethical and religious choices you don't represent me with my political choices i don't want to have anything to do with you people and i'm not going to answer your stupid poll yeah in in in, in me what you're getting at here is is a debate among professional pollsters and political scientists who study um uh the, the the use of polling okay you have some pollsters who believe that in 2016 and 2020 many trump supporters fall, fall fell into that category that you just mentioned okay they don't trust okay um government institutions they don't trust uh people they perceive as elites Okay, so they are unwilling to participate in polls because even if they responded honestly, they believe that their responses will somehow be um, mischaracterized, changed, ignored. Or used, yeah, ignored or used to further an already existing narrative about how they and people like them are dumb, stupid, irrational, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so that's one theory. That's one theory, okay? Another theory, okay, um, is that, um, and, and, and this has um, a, a longer historical roots, okay? And I know this is something that you and I have talked um, um, uh, about before, um, and this is known as the social desirability bias, otherwise known as the Bradley effect. Okay. Or in Virginia, the, the Wilder, Wilder effect. effect. Okay. And basically what we're talking about here is in elections where one candidate is white and usually male and the other uh, 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 candidate or main candidate 
is a person of color or a woman. Um, there has been some evidence that people when they are polled before the election were, will tell the pollster, okay, what they think the pollster wants to hear because they don't want to look, you know, for instance, racist or sexist, okay? Right. Or, you know, something else. But then that gives skewed polling results before the election. And the reason why it's referred to as the Bradley effect um, is that uh, Los Angeles Mayor Tom Bradley in 1982 ran for governor in California. And he was uh, an African-American. Pre-election polls suggested that he was going to win and he lost. Now, there have been numerous studies done about that particular election. Some scholars have concluded that social desirability bias did take place. Other scholars who interviewed um, staffers with, um, involved with both campaigns have concluded that a significant percentage of voters changed their mind or made up their mind at the last moment. And that's another thing that pre-election polls struggle with. If it's an election where we have a significant percentage of undecided voters, they may make up their mind at the last moment after the last set of polls have been done. Right. So think about this, for instance, uh, Nia, in 2016. The number of Americans in pre-election polls who both in, who indicated that they found both candidates, <laughs> okay, undesirable. And what we've come to find out is a significant percentage of them decided at the last moment to vote for Trump because he wasn't part of or wasn't perceived as a government elite. Yeah, he was, he an was perceived, right. He was perceived as outside the system. Okay. That's um, the whole point of populism. That's right. That's the whole point of populism, right? They're not one of the elites. And, and why, I, why is that attractive? Because elites are not paying attention to me and folks like me. Right. They don't represent me. What I find fascinating about that is um, in that particular instance, and I, I, I know we're not going to, I'm not going to try to get us off too much, but I find fascinating that, that Americans, that many, many Americans saw Trump as an outsider and not an elite. And I'm yes. like, my dude was in government and politics on the periphery in New York for years, not with office, but with influence. And he he's extremely wealthy, right? Like he runs in those circles. So to say that he is an outside, let's and and not just Donald Trump, but Barack Obama ran under the same thing. And I'm like, um, you went to Harvard. You're a high-powered lawyer. You're now a senator. Like you don't get to call yourself an outsider. You're not really an outsider. You taught constitutional law at the University of Chicago. I'm sorry. Okay, you're. 
you're part of whatever. Right. And you're not an outsider. You're part of it, the elite. Me, it's funny you just brought that up because last night in my politics and film class, we discussed the movie All the King's Men. Okay. Um, and the character in that movie, Willie Stark, was based on well-known Louisiana politician Huey Long, Kingfish, right? Right. Um, a, a populist, right? And my students and I were were discussing okay, candidates, okay, who claim that they are populist. And, um, and, and I went ahead and made the comment, you know, when you hear a politician who has been an elected official for decades say that they are one of the people, they haven't been one of the people, <laughs> okay, for years, right? right. Okay. Right. Okay. Exactly. When Senator McConnell or anybody like that says, you know, blah, blah, blah from the people, I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You, you I, have I, been I, in the Senate for about 400 years and you have a benefits package that is killer. You have. Oh, yeah. I, I, you have I, I all mentioned. kinds. Of, I mean, your job isn't like my job. Your life isn't like my life. Somebody drives you to work like don't even. We, we don't have the same experience. And, and it's funny you mentioned um, uh, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. From, and he's not the only one, by the way. I feel that way oh, about no, no, Chuck I, Schumer. I, I, feel, feel I that mentioned way about... both him and Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Exactly. Right? I'm like... They couldn't hear, get more elite. When I, <laughs> and I even said that. I said, when I hear Speaker Pelosi say, okay, that, you know, um, she... Identifies with the little people, yeah. The little people, I'm like, she hasn't been a little person her entire <laughs> life. Right. Her father was an elected official, okay? Yeah, like, um, the, I'm not I mean, buying what you're selling, sorry. Okay. I said, she is one of the wealthiest members of Congress, okay? Um, it's been a few years since she's been one of the little people. It's been right? a few Never. years since she lived paycheck to paycheck. paycheck Let me just put right? it that way, where but, the vast but, majority of Americans do live paycheck to paycheck. So, but the appeal to populism, okay, right. is 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 one of the fundamental elements of the American political myth, right? Well, it's the little guy myth. It's the yes. underdog myth yes. of you know. The baseball team that everybody wants to win isn't the Yankees, except you, you're the exception, right? It's anybody playing the Yankees because the Yankees always win, right? So Yes, yes, right? So it's okay. that kind of thing. It's not that people hate the Yankees, it's that they want to see the Yankees lose occasionally. You know, when the Chicago Cubs won the World Series, okay, in this decade, they had not won the World Series in over 100 years, okay? And everybody loved them. For a yeah, moment, they, everybody yes. in the world loved them because they were like, yeah. But, you know, the Chicago Cubs, okay, historically is a well-supported team in one of the largest markets, <laughs> okay, in the United States. Yeah, it's not okay. really an underdog team. Okay, the, the reason why, you know, they frequently failed is that they were poorly run, poorly managed with some really bad players, right? <laughs> okay, but nevertheless, it fits, it, it fits that narrative, right? Right. Okay, but the, the thing about 2016, and it reminded me, and, and, and I actually found some scholarship about this, what, a, what, many, what many in the media, when they report pre-election polls, 
don't stress enough. And what many Americans perhaps don't remember, okay, is that there are some elections where the divide, okay, uh, the minds have already been made up. The divide is so stark, okay, um, there's not going to be a lot of undecided voters making up their mind at the last moment. But every once in a while, you know, what happened in 2016, right? You know, you had two candidates that a lot of Americans were just like, oh, these are bad. Right? Scylla and Charybdis. Yeah, right. You know, I am between the rock and the hard place. place. Like, you I don't know, know what I mean, to do. I, I, I joked with my students. I went to the polls and and I did this to go ahead and make my daughter laugh. But, you know, as I was casting my vote, I held my nose, right? <laughs> okay. As though the, you know, the ballot stunk, right? Right. Okay. But think about this, Nia, in 2000, right? In 2000, um, the presidential election between uh, Bush 43 and Al Gore, right? Um, Pre-election polls suggested that Al Gore was going to pretty comfortably win the election. Now he won the popular vote, okay? But there were a number of important electoral college states like Florida where voters, okay, there is evidence to suggest that they changed their mind at the last moment. That the reports about Bush, okay, you know, skipping out on military service and may have been arrested for, you know, um, drugs and drinking actually boomeranged against those who made those reports. That many Americans were just like, well, why is this coming out at the last moment? Why, what are they really afraid of? Okay. Right. And they voted well, for, and they voted for Bush. And I okay. wonder too, if in some instances, voters react to the feeling that the media is trying to make them do something. Yes. Right. Okay. Where they, where the people who are not only people who are polling them, but then the, the people who are reporting it are saying only a lunatic would vote for so-and-so is the tone. It's not what they say, but it's the tone. And the person says, oh, no, you did not just tell me who to vote for. I'm going to, you wait, I'm going to write in Mickey Mouse on this ballot or whatever, because they don't, um, I, I, I tell you that I believe in my heart of hearts that the fundamental American value is, I, we talked about this before, and it's not really I'm going to sue, it's don't tell me what to do. Yeah, yeah. Right, it, it's, it's sort of the personal freedom of, if I want to jump off a cliff, you don't get to tell me I can't jump off a cliff. It's, it's my cliff to jump from if I choose to do that. The American value of liberty is, 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 so, yeah, is so acute. Even if what you tell me to do will benefit me, <laughs> right. I might not do it simply because you told me I had to do it. Of course. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I appreciate that eating vegetables will make me live longer. Here, <laughs> here, give me that loaf of bread. I'm just going to start gnawing on one end of it. Like it's, it's. Nia, th th that's funny you mentioned that because I still remember, and this was, you know, seven or eight years ago. 
okay, you know, my, uh, my general physician, right? My G, you know, GP, okay? I'm, I'm doing my annual physical and he's telling me that I got to eat, you know, more vegetables, blah, blah, blah. And I just sarcastically say, oh, really, doc? What vegetables would you recommend? And he said, you ought to, you know, eat more kale. And I looked at him and I'm like, <laughs> you want me to eat more kale? I said, doc, do you know anybody, okay, who wants, who wants to eat more kale? <laughs> and of course, the nurse who was in the room was just like, just laughing, right? Yeah. I just, I just went off on it. I said, even if kale was the, the tastiest vegetable in the world, you know what I'm, I'm going to do now, doc. He goes, yeah, I know you, Augie. He goes, you're going to make it a point to at least for the next two or three months, never eat kale. I'm like, yes. Yeah. Just, yeah. 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 Okay. Like, don't, if, if you want me to do something, you should probably tell me to do the opposite sort of reverse psychology. Um, but also there's this the media portrays itself as i think hyper educated hyper elite sort of one of the reasons that fox news has the following that it has is because their their um commentators don't tend to be as what i think of as snooty as some of the other channels yes. Yes. I think there's a snootiness factor that some of the other channels sort of feel like they're looking down on their on their viewers, whereas Fox News folks who, by the way, are not regular people. They're regular people in the way that Nancy Pelosi is a regular person. <laughs> yeah, or Mitch McConnell is, right? Because right? okay. they're but they but they have a different tone yes. to their network coverage. And so wow. I think it 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 plays into that like they are very smart to play into that idea of it's us against the elites and the system and you know everything else and fox news portrays itself as an underdog in that sense when it's we're not the mainstream media I'm like but you are the mainstream media because you make as much or more money than the other networks yeah, yeah you got higher ratings depending on the year you but you also higher, bring in an enormous amount of money. Amount of money, right? Yeah. Okay. So don't talk to me about being all like well, I'm down with the lo the low folk or the little people or whatever. I'm like, no, you're not. But but again, think about how other media organizations, okay, will report poll results, right? I mean, I remember in the lead up to the 2020 presidential election where you had mainstream media, uh, mainstream media organizations, right? New York Times, Washington Post, right? Um, CNN, talking about poll results, right? Where in the newspaper articles, okay, they were just downright dismissive of how many people were voting who said they were gonna vote for Trump, right? right. You know, I remember on-air talent for CNN and MSNBC openly questioning why anybody in their right mind would still want to vote for Trump, okay? Now, if you know that that's how the poll results are going to be portrayed and you're a Trump supporter... Why would you talk to those people? Yeah, right, okay? Um, and, and, and again, you know... 
Um, and we can, you know, we can be critical, right? You know, we can be critical of the choices that voters make, right? But, you know, you and I've talked previously in a pod in podcast episodes in the lead up to the 2020 election about what are some of the most important variables in determining why people vote the way they vote, right? Um, um, and, you know, and, you know, and, and I shared with listeners, you know, uh, political scientist Murray Edelman's um, uh, book, The Symbolic Uses of Politics. Successful politicians are able to convince a large number of voters that they are a blank slate, that the right. voters can write all over them, right? <laughs> so that's why a Nancy Pelosi, okay, um, can go ahead and convince a whole bunch of people that she is one of them, right? Why, you know, Mitch McConnell can go ahead and represent to a whole bunch of voters in Kentucky, I'm one of you. Yeah, right? and when's the last time that Mitch McConnell was really a Kentucky? Kentuckian? No. He, he's a Washington insider. Yeah, he's a Washington insider, right? Okay. But he sure does portray yeah, himself right? well and he keeps getting reelected. His sure. his constituency love him. So, okay, so can we let's, pivot then to the future? Yes. Are there are there um like how do how does it get fixed? And I know big question you probably can't answer in the next 10 minutes or so, but it's got to get fixed, right? Because we need polls that actually accurately reflect, or do we need polls that accurately reflect what the nation is thinking? Um, and I get to ask this question sometimes, Nia, why should we care about polls? Right. right? Uh, why should we care about them? Um, and, you know, I, I tell students and people who ask me that question, if you want to be educated and engaged in what's going on um, uh, with government um, in elections, um, then we probably should continue to have polls. But I always um, uh, advise caution. Um, in, in part, as you correctly identified a few minutes ago, I'm a skeptic, right? So if I read an article that discusses a poll, um, I will try to find the actual poll to make sure that how the media was reporting it, okay, is actually accurate. That is an excellent point, and thank you for making it. We should have said that at the beginning. Polls, you should always look at the poll. You should look at the methodology. You should look at what question they actually asked. Because sometimes the media reports an answer that the, could not have possibly been answered by the question that was asked in the poll. They're just making assumptions about yes. what those what those words mean. But that's not uh, that that is regularly not the case. So you should always go look at the originating poll and see what what questions were asked and how they were asked. Did it did it lead people to an answer? Did it? Did the question, the way the question was worded, influence or could it have influenced? I mean, you know, but the really good pollsters work on that and make sure that they're not asking questions like that. But well, it and, can and, and still happen. In real, in really good polls, 
Okay, also try to determine whether or not the, re, the response is to something current or if it's a deeply held, if you will, belief or right. response, right? Right. Because polls in, in one sense are snapshots in time, okay? They're asking you to go ahead and reflect on, you know, uh, a series of events and you, and you have a recency bias, right? Okay, you know, it's kind of sort of like uh, the, the poll results that got released this past week about uh, a shrinking percentage of Americans actually approve of the work of the Supreme Court. Okay. Well, that's because right now we're all mad about the shadow docket. Yes, right? But okay. It, when that passes. Yeah, a whole bunch of Democrats and a whole bunch of women aren't pleased because the Supreme Court did not step in and immediately declare the most recent Texas abortion law unconstitutional. Could that possibly change in two or three months? Yeah, the Supreme Court could have, you know, issue a number of opinions and all of a sudden, you know, or the Supreme Court is no longer on the media's attention. Right. Or, you know, uh, uh, on the media's agenda, right? And we'll go ahead as we usually do and, and forget about the Supreme Court until June of next year. <laughs> Which one should also, yeah, one should always remember the, the, the media is constantly looking for a dumpster fire. And so yes. it, it, if there's not one, they'll make one. But also dumpster fires have a way of horrifying people and making them feel a certain way. But then do they yeah. really feel that way? That's one of the things I've noticed with um, polling questions is if the election were held today, a lot of them start off that way. And yes. I think that's a pretty smart way to start off because it lets you do that, what you're exactly what you're talking about, which is snapshot in time. Yes. Not will you feel this way six months from now, but do you today, would you vote for in the, and I know it's not gubernatorial, I know it's gubernatorial, but I prefer goober because that's most of the people who run uh, the state of Virginia uh, to both parties. That's, that's both parties. But the goobers who are now fighting it out for the for the governorship in Virginia. Yeah, Terry McAuliffe and Glenn Youngkins. What yep. we're hearing in the polls is that they are in a dead heat. That yes. it is. And yes. that goes to your question of, to what you were saying earlier about people walking in the booth and making a decision short of flipping a coin. Yes. I mean, I think they're just making a decision like, uh, okay, that guy. And not sure we're going to get a good poll in Virginia. Yeah, and, and, and here's the other thing that I would suggest to listeners. Um, you know, for those of us who follow politics, and we like to follow politics, okay, <laughs> polls are important. And as somebody who's worked for elected officials, polls are a way to convey what that politician, that elected official's constituents, okay, uh, might be at that point in time considered to be important, right? Um, now, good politicians like good pollsters will try to understand or try to figure out and get at whether or not an issue, okay, is uh, has any salience, right? How important is it, right? But pre-election polls, okay, um, interestingly enough, um, help generate interest in elections. And, you know, because, you know, if you're seeing polls 
and your your preferred candidate is not doing well, then you might want to go ahead and start, you know, browbeating your friends and family or, you know, uh, volunteering or, you know, uh, um, um, making a campaign donation. Well, well you know, or even making you aware that the election is happening. Yes. In those weird off-year elections, or in uh, like I'd like to think of them in Virginia, off-off-year elections, where you're not electing a governor and you're not electing a president. Oh, there's an election this year. What's what's on the ballot, right? So the polls actually can, yes, make people aware that it's even happening when they weren't aware of that before. Because everybody knows when the presidential, you cannot get away from the presidential elections unless you every four years go live in a cave under a rock somewhere <laughs> and, and even then you'd have to do it for like a year and a half you wouldn't <laughs> i mean think about it listeners. and you'd know why you were living in the cave so you still can't escape not really i mean th think about it listeners um more than likely next spring you're already going to see um uh, newspaper articles media oh. media stories about the jockeying for position um, in both the Democratic and Republican parties as to who might be their candidate in 2024. Right. Um, and, and I know you and I've talked about it, Nia, but think about this. Canada just went ahead and held a set of <laughs> elections, okay, for their national legislature, which will determine who will be prime minister and it all happened within like two and a half months. Two and a half months. Right. Okay. Justin Trudeau said, let's have an election. I'm calling early elections and they're going to happen in like two and a half months. And they happened earlier this week. And I'm like, <laughs> how does that even, how does that even work? That's so fabulous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he literally did that 10 weeks. He's like, we're going to hold an election in 10 weeks. And everybody went, I, cause yep. that's how their system works. Um, <clears throat> to wrap up this poll thing, do you think that polls, that pollsters will figure it out, or do you think that it's going to be just a work in progress from here on out because we don't really? I think it's going to have to be a work in progress in part, Nia, because um, they're going to have to use, uh, continue to use uh, multiple methods um, if they really want to get um uh, a representative sample um and that requires more money and different kind of training for those who conduct the polls um i think pollsters are also going to have to they're going to have to get better at a qualifying the claims of their uh, of their poll results. They're going to have to go ahead and and um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Show a little bit more humility, okay? Uh -huh. um, because you can't go ahead and say that there aren't any problems after what happened in 2016 and 2020, okay? Right. Because um, there were problems. There were problems at the national level, state, and local levels, right? You know, this wasn't just a, a big oops, you know, in regards to a presidential election. I mean, some of the mistakes at the state and local levels were even worse, but they didn't really get reported because we tend to focus on the presidential election, right? 
Right. So they're going to have to show a little bit more humility um, in, in saying, this is what we do know, and this is what we don't know. Um, and I'm not entirely sure that they're willing or capable of doing that, um, but I hope that they are. Okay. I hope that they are. Um, Can I say from my opinion that I hope that because it's more expensive, there'll be fewer of them? Yeah. Yeah. Because I think that that also muddies the water. When everybody and their cat is putting out a polling and the polling data is, con is contradictory, yeah. then what people end up doing is throwing up their hands. They end up yeah. saying, then none of this works and it's all meaningless and I'm not going to bother with any of it because on one poll it says this, but on another poll it says that and those are the exact same candidates. Whereas I think if there were fewer, but they were better quality, yeah, you, might mean, have a, you might have more confidence in them. Yeah, I mean, what you're referring to is polling fatigue. Yeah. Right. Um, and even if you are somebody who will fill out polls, after <laughs> God, a while, God love you. <laughs> God love you. But after a while, okay, um, you know, it, it's like anything, it becomes rote and you stop paying close attention to the questions, um, or you are, you've already figured out what they're looking for as an answer. So unless you're being, um, you know, recalcitrant, okay. Right. <laughs> where, well, where because you... if Augie ate apple pie and drank coffee every meal, after a while, even he would get tired of apple pie. And coffee. And coffee. He'd be like, okay, you know what I need? I need a lemon meringue and a glass of tea. And yeah. everybody would fall down in the floor in shock. <laughs> <laughs> and, and by the way, listeners, um, uh, and I'm going to uh, 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 concede or acknowledge this, uh, before we recorded this particular podcast for breakfast this morning, <laughs> I had you a, didn't. Did I, you really? <laughs> I had two cups of coffee, okay, and a really big slice of apple pie. I'm not I, making I, that, I did not I am not making that, that up, okay? <laughs> I'm not making that up. I want it noted uh, for the record. I didn't know that. I just know you. <laughs> uh, because uh, uh, last Sunday, uh, Mackenzie and I went to a farmer's market. Um, and, and this really nice uh, elderly woman um, had a couple apple pies. I bought two of them. <laughs> of course you did. Okay. Um, and uh, this morning, I was just like, well, you know, hey, apple pie can't be that bad for breakfast because it has fruit. I was okay. going to say it has fruit and it, and it has wheat. Yeah. No. Yes. Right. Yeah. You know, we can it, justify it, anything if we, if we choose. Yeah. I mean, in, 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 the, in the, the nice woman who made it uh, put uh, liberal amounts of cinnamon. Okay. Which and is very got, good for your heart. Very good for my and heart. And she made it with love. That's made always good love. too. Okay. And it, of course, assuming I have a heart, uh, but <laughs> nevertheless, um, and then I washed it down with uh, uh, two uh, uh, rather large mugs of coffee. I kid you okay. not. I just am glad that I called that without even knowing. Yep. Thank you, Augie. We will, I'm sure, be back to talk about um, polling and elections as they go along because we're going to see a lot more of that. Yeah, I mean, and again, listeners, Nia just said something really important. Um, Virginia basically has elections every year. Um, uh, so we have statewide elections coming up this fall. So please vote. Uh, but we also have midterm elections that are scheduled um, in 2022. 
and you're going to see a whole bunch of polls. Yep. Um, so if nothing else, be better consumers of polls. Right. Be better consumers, right? But anyways, uh, and, and that's my uh, public service announcement. <laughs> Yay. All right, Thanks, Neil. Doggy. Have a good day. And... You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu slash discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.